Well, hey, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Ronnie. I'll be preaching for you this morning. One of the pastors here at Substance. Uh, about, gosh, I don't know, eight, nine weeks ago, we started a series at the beginning of September uh, called Being the Church. And we just really wanted to kind of unpack a little bit of what our member uh, booklet, packet, our, our distinctives, kind of what some of those things uh, tell us and say to us and explain to us um, in terms of what it means to actually be the church, to be the church that Jesus uh, himself is building. And then on the heels of that, three weeks ago, we wanted to start a series called What We Believe, as you can see behind me, and um, just take our statement of faith, which is just really like a, a, an unpacking of, of confessing our beliefs about what scripture tells us what it means to be a Christian and to be the church. We just want to take about a month to go through that and, and unpack that particular confessional statement that we have. So we're, we're in week three this morning. And I'm going to, uh, kind of like we've been doing the last few weeks, I'm going to have you, um, man, just turn to a bunch of different passages, hopefully not too many. I don't want to exhaust you, but you're going to be a little busier this morning than you usually would be when we go through a book of the Bible. Maybe we're just hitting one passage. Um, we'll be hitting a multitude of passages. I'll be going through some of them fast. I'll have you stop and turn to some of those so that you don't get lazy this morning and you forget how to do that in, in the Bible. Um, well, I want you to start with me by imagining a person who was born with this amazing uh, musical talent, let's say, to, to be a drummer. Most people don't consider drummers musicians. Sorry, Kyle. Um, but that's kind of the prevailing uh, humorous thing if you're a musician. You say, well, that's good for all of us except for the drummer. Um, but imagine somebody who just had this talent to be a drummer. And from a young age, this was a guy who had this, just this, had this sort of natural rhythm and coordination. He seemed to be born with it. And the first time he sat down at the drum kit, it was like, man, he found what he was created to do. And this guy just developed quickly into one of the most just naturally gifted drummers that, that people around him had ever seen. And then over time, uh, this drummer started working at a drum shop. He's like, I'm a drummer. I'd rather make my, make my living by being around the thing that I, that I love to do. So he got a job at a drum shop. He began ordering drum sets. He began building drum kits. He began selling drum kits. He, he, he started attending drum conventions. And man, in short time, this brother learned everything there was to know about all the different kinds of, of drum kits and drum sets out there for people to buy. And when he got his paycheck, what would he do? Well, he would invest into his own drum set and he'd buy more pieces to add to it until one day that drum kit was so big, took over his entire bedroom. Dude had to sleep in the closet, right? Just dominated his space. And then this thing happened where after a few years, someone asked him about drumming. And they said, hey, man, how, how often, man? You're so devoted to drumming and drum kits. And how often do you play your drums? It must be all the time. And he took a minute to think about it. And he realized that he hadn't actually sat down to play his drums in years. This dude was surrounded by drum kits. Um, he just engaged all day with drummers. But he himself wasn't drumming anymore. He had forgotten who he was. He'd forgotten why he got into the thing that he'd gotten into. It wasn't because he wanted to know everything there was to know about drum kits or to be the East Coast distributor of drum sets. It was because he was a drummer. And so that illustration, um, it's meant to just be kind of a metaphor for some of us who claim to be 
Christians, right? We are in church. We are constantly surrounded by Christians, but some of us have forgotten who we are. Some of us have forgotten what the Holy Spirit did when he saved us and who he saved us to be. So this morning, we're going to look into uh, what we call articles of our statement of faith, articles 6, 7, and 8 in our statement of faith, and be a little bit reminded of our identity, which is this, a people saved by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to live as ambassadors of the gospel. That's the big idea. Like when you come in here and you are somebody who identifies as a saved person, somebody who has received the work of Jesus on the cross, what does that mean for you? What is that for you? Is it just something that you add to the resume? Is it just something you pull off the shelf when it suits you? Is it just something you are on Sundays? Does it also just mean that it just means there's things you don't do? Well, man, I'm a little more moral than the guy I work next to at my job. Man, there's, there's some certain ways I vote now. Does it just kind of encompass that? Does it just mean that there's certain behaviors I adopt or there's certain images, there's a, maybe a way I dress or a particular way that I function? Is that what it actually means? Well, in some ways, yeah, some of those things go along with the, with the program. Not the dress thing, we don't do that here. You dress how you want, right? But this is what it means, this is what we're gonna look at today is that when you are saved, you are a people. You are saved into a people who are saved by Jesus through a particular power, and that power comes through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and it's for something. It's for a reason. It's to live out something. So you're not just saved and then you like go into hibernation, but you're saved to live out your life as a representative, as an ambassador of the gospel, the good news that you didn't have to die in your sins. You didn't have to be separated from God anymore. You could be welcomed back into fellowship with him. So that's what we're gonna unpack. Uh, these three articles speak into that. They can be found in the inside of your bulletin. So we're gonna, we're gonna read these aloud, kind of as a confessional statement like we've been doing the last couple of weeks. And we'll read them and then I'll unpack it for a minute and then we'll, we'll move on. So the first one, article six, is we believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's read this aloud together. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Okay, let's just stop right there. Let me qualify too. When we read something like this, a statement of faith or a confessional statement, that's not scripture. It sounds like scripture. It's drawn from scripture. But we need to be really clear that we don't look at this as if it's inspired. It is not an inspired piece of scripture. It is inspired by scripture. And the reason why we say that is because that's exactly what it is. And it also means that we can make changes and edits to that 
um, well, we don't personally, but we're part of a, a community of churches, a denomination of churches that have leaders that look at these things very closely. And if they ever need to make edits, if they ever need to tighten it up, they're going to do that, right? Because they can, because we can adjust this. What we can't adjust is this. We adjust this according to this right? If that makes sense. So I just want to clear that up in case you think, well, man, you're sure putting a lot of emphasis on this, like this statement that we're reading instead of God's word. Well, we're not. We're just saying that this is confesses what we believe to be true about God's word. And that's a good thing for us. So this talks about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And this is what we believe. We believe the Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third person of the Trinity who unites us the church with Jesus, the son, who draws us into a personal relationship with God, our father. And in fact, the gospel, the good news that we receive, that we embrace to be true, it's applied to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you ever wondered, man, I've received this gospel. I received the work of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Man, how do I, how do I live that out now? Well, the Holy Spirit has now entered your heart. He's been poured into your heart, as Paul said, by the love of Christ. And now you are empowered to live out the very character of Jesus Christ in the way that you walk and live and breathe and work and eat and dream in everything that you do. So the Holy Spirit applies the work that Jesus did on the cross so that we are people that actually can live out the very work and the character of Jesus Christ. So what does the Holy Spirit do then? Man, there's some mystery about the Holy Spirit. The Bible even speaks into the mystery of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Here's a couple things that the Holy Spirit does. We can't get into the 291 things that he does, but here's just a few things that he does. First one is he convicts the world of sin. So when people become convicted of their sin, when they say, I see it now, it's all, there's like, a, there's like a light bulb above my head and that thing is blinking and it's going off and I realize I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. You know who does that? That's a work of the spirit in your heart to reveal that to you. In John 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking to the disciples saying, hey, I'm gonna be leaving the earth soon. He said, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He also regenerates sinners. He's the one that puts it in your heart to finally see Jesus as the savior and the ruler and the creator of your life. He convicts your heart and regenerates your heart to finally see Jesus as your everything and your all. And it says this in Jeremiah 24, seven, an Old Testament book. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So you all have a heart. You are all born with a heart that wanted to have nothing to do with God. 
Man, that just sounds harsh, right? Because you look down at your little babies and you think, oh man, they're so sweet until you know they've been home from the hospital after that first two weeks. You might change your mind then. You might flip your mind then. You might think, no, I'm gonna believe everything Ronnie's gonna say right now because after they start acting up, you kind of get this idea that no, these are not kids that really are locked in with God. None of you are laughing. You're all that's sobering to you, right? But none of us are born wanting to be near God, loving Jesus, having a heart that's for him. That heart has to be regenerated. It has to be changed. The Holy Spirit does that work of drawing our hearts to the living God, to Jesus Christ. So he convicts the world of sin, which is the first step in that process. He regenerates sinners. He makes us see our sin. He gives us a desire to want to be forgiven of our sin and to want to know God with our hearts. And then some of the other things he does is he, he indwells. He indwells us. He illuminates us. He guides us. He equips us. He empowers the church. Turn with me to John 15, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 26. Get a sense of some of this as we read these passages. John 15, 26 says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit, as he lives inside believers, he gives witness to the truth that there is for us to know about God. Why? Well, because we doubt. Because, because that moment that we receive Christ and we believe in the work that he gave us, that's not it, man. It's not just tied up. It's not just bowed up. We have doubts. We battle with unbelief all through our lives. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to indwell in us, to illuminate us, to illuminate those truths that God has given us. And then to continue to equip us in those truths and empower us to live out those truths. So listen. To be a spirit-driven church, okay, it means that we listen very closely and carefully to the word of God. It means that we lead with the heart of Jesus. We think about the ways in which Jesus cared for others and what characterized him. We want to lead others with that same heart. And then we want to lean into others with the hands of Jesus. So the way, the tangible ways that we saw Jesus care for people in his community and in the towns and everywhere that he went in the earthly ministry that he had here for three years, man, we know that we need the Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to do that and also to continue to form and shape our hearts so that we're doing that effectively for one another. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we pray that the Spirit will empower us in all that we do so that all that we do, it's not about us, but it gives glory to God. Now we pray for increased sensitivity to the spirit so that we become more discerning in what he is calling us to be and to do. Man, um, one of the dumbest things Melissa and I do is... We go on these long hikes, long hikes, and uh, man, every single time we forget to bring water. We're just not that bright, you know. Um, I mean, we still have legs. We're still walking, right? 
Um, but we get to that point where one of us looks at the other person and went, water. The other person shakes their heads, goes, nope, not today. So again, we can still walk, but without water, man, we just lack hydration, which is what gives us power and strength and endurance. And so without the Spirit's work, without us praying for the Spirit's help, man, we're just going to be a church that maybe gets a lot of junk done and looks like a church that's functioning, but all that internal stuff is not happening to make it a work that is not about what we're finishing and accomplishing, but something that God is using in our lives to become more like him while we're engaging in it. Does that make sense? So that's why we pray, Holy Spirit, come, illuminate, guide, indwell, equip, empower us. We are a spirit-driven church. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Let's read Article 7. This leads us to what it means to be the church. What is this thing called the church? We unpacked it for, I think, six weeks. We're going to talk a little bit about it this morning. But in your bulletin, it says, we believe in the church. Let's read that together right now. We believe that the true church comprises all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which he is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches, whose membership could be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. So what is the church? Well, when the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ, we just learned that. He's the one responsible. He creates this new community, which you are all in right now as we speak, called the church. And our position would, we'd say it, we'd say it like this. The church are all those who have been saved by God's grace, united with Christ by God's son, and become the embodiment of the gospel in the world. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church. Let's not make any mistake here. Substance church, not Ronnie Martin's church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It is the church that Jesus is building. It is the church that he atoned for by his death on the cross. It's the church that he sacrificed for. It is the church that he continues to build. That is the church that you are all a part of. Now, we have a local manifestation of it here, 101 South Street, Ashland, Ohio. This is our local embodied sort of component of the universal church. But like we say many times, man, this is happening all over the world right now. Now we're part of a global church that's not gonna see its full fulfillment until we're in heaven in glory with Jesus. But right now, here's like a manifestation of it. Here's like a preview of what this is going to look like on the most global of scales someday. But we can't be everywhere right now. Um, so we're here because this is the place God has put us to live out this work of the Holy Spirit that's happening in us with one another in this local embodiment and manifestation of the church. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. You want to make a, make a right, go up to Romans, a couple books away from John. Now, 
Because if that's the church, we need to know who comprises the church. And our statement tells us it's all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Here's what Romans 3 verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So listen to this part. He says, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Man, that's a lot right there. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So what this tells us is the church, the true church, like you can show up here and not be part of the true church. You can even become a member of a church and not be part of the true church. What the heck do we mean when we say true church? Well, we, we mean what Paul just said in Romans chapter 3. It is for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and have received that faith as a gift of grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. That's the qualifier. That's the qualifier. That is why it just feels like maybe for some of you, I'm hammering on the same things every week. And it's kind of that. It's kind of Romans 3. Because if I don't mention stuff that kind of, we just mentioned right there in Romans 3, I'm probably not preaching the gospel. I'm just telling you thoughts that I think are cool. I'm just telling you things that I think I want to say to you. But it's really not what God has to say about us, about what makes you a true member of the church that Jesus is building. And guess what? It's, it's not hard. It's not hard to become a true member of the church that Jesus is building. It requires you understanding that you're a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of God's work through Christ on the cross. Come to him in humility. And when you, you come face to face, when you connect with that in a real way and something in your heart has shifted and changed, you're part of the true church. We have, my wife was reminding me of this this morning, we have, we have such a longing to belong, don't we? Man, if you were to look at a lot of our lives, a lot of it could be characterized by, man, just a need to find belonging, to find identity to fit in with a group of people, right? To find some community that, man, that, that, that believes what you believe, that holds to what you hold. And not just something temporary, right? Not just something that has the potential to fade out or change or be readjusted, but something that finds its truth embedded in something unchanging. And that's the story of the church, is that what is collecting us and what is gathering us together, what is holding us together is not just something that we made up because it sounds good. In fact, it sounds really bad when you go through scripture. In fact, when you commit to be a follower of Christ, when you commit to receiving that forgiveness and being a part of the true church, man, things start getting hard in your life. Things start getting difficult in your life. Because we have an enemy who is opposed to the work that is being done in us. But the church is a place of belonging. 
for the believer. It's a place of knowing that to your right and to your left, there are people that are fighting that fight. They're fighting the fight of faith. And gosh, they're screwing it up so much. Man, and if that wasn't bad enough, you have a pastor that preaches to you every week who's screwing it up pretty bad too. But here we are together as the church. And so our, our statement kind of talks about some of the distinguishing marks of being the church. It talks about local church membership. Because those who are saved commit themselves to the fellowship of the local body. So we encourage you, if you've been here a while, you've not become a member, we're going to have a, a new class in January. Be thinking about that. Be praying about that. We also practice the ordinances or the sacraments, baptism and communion. These are things that tangibly express the gospel. It's a physical way that we're expressing the gospel. Somebody who is being baptized, that is them making a profession of faith. It's the same thing as them professing faith in Christ. They go under that water, they're dying to sin. They're being raised out of that water to new life in Christ. And then what we do is we almost practice that. We do it here twice a month when we take the Lord's Supper. We're eating and drinking the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we practice these tangible forms of the gospel. One of our distinctives is we preach the gospel, right? Man, we preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I, don't only, if I only say the things that you want to hear. Woe to me if I don't preach the hard stuff. Woe to me if I don't talk about the cross. Woe to me if I don't call you out of darkness. Woe to me. Because what am I saying? Why am I up here? Why do I spend all these hours preparing these things? If it's not to preach the gospel, woe to me. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul encourages Timothy, says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Man, it's felt like out of season, hasn't it? Dude, last year it's felt real out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. It's out of season. That's why you gotta be patient. So we're, we're distinct in that we, we believe in membership. We believe you're a part of something that you should commit to. We practice the ordinances. We want to obey what, what Christ has given to us to engage in as the local church. We want, to, we want to preach the gospel. The gospel is embodied in this new community called the church. The gospel creates the church. And the church proclaims the gospel. In fact, the church is the centerpiece of God's purpose for humanity. It's all contained here. Why he decided to do it with us, I don't know. But here we are, we're his instruments. Article eight, so if we are the church, we are called to something, not just to be the church, but to become something that is changing inside of us that causes our very actions and behaviors to be altered. We believe in Christian living. Let's read this together. We believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another. 
compassion toward the poor, and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. Let's turn to Romans 6. You're already in Romans. Verse 2. It says this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen to this last part, we too might walk in newness of life. So we are supposed to look like something, more specifically, someone. So what does that look like? What does walking in newness of life look like? What well, looks like loving God supremely? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So loving God supremely is actually obeying God. And guess what? His burden is light. His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, when we obey God, it's the very thing that rejuvenates us, that renews us, that gives us life. So we love God supremely. We love him more than other things. And not more than some other things. We love him more than all other things. Jesus said a cr like just a crazy statement when he said, he who doesn't hate his mother and his father and his brother and sister is not qualified to be part of the kingdom of God. What he meant is that we can't elevate anything above our love for God. That is supreme over all things. But it also means that walking of newness of life is that we love others sacrificially. Jesus said in Matthew 22, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How do we love our neighbor as ourself? Well, we do it by caring for one another. Peter said, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He also said, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Paul said in Galatians, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Remember that, especially to those, especially the church. So we care for one another. We act with compassion for the poor. Proverbs 14 he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 19, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. So we care for one another. We act with compassion for the poor. We seek justice for the oppressed. Don't let those words be triggers for you. Don't let politics change the meaning of those words when scripture is so clear what those words mean. Seek justice for the oppressed. Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what your call is. Leave politics to the politicians. You do that. 
Boy, it got quiet when I said that. It shouldn't have gotten quiet. There should have been a bunch of amens to that. And if you need to get off Facebook and you need to readjust your thinking with some of these things so that it more clearly aligns with that, that's what you need to do. Man, I love you guys. That is so frustrating that the church has arguments now about what justice means. Funny, scripture doesn't have any argument. Scripture says, seek it, provide it, live it. You will not be facing God someday as an American. You won't be. Man, you shouldn't be so quiet when I say that. You guys should not be so quiet when I say that. That's what walking in newness of life looks like. It also looks like combating spiritual forces of evil through God's word, through prayer, through the Spirit's power. We could go to Colossians 3 and read through what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to abstain from passions of the flesh. We're also called to make disciples. Who is a Christian, by the way? Well, a Christian is really just a lifelong learner, lifelong follower of Jesus. And God gives us a way to lean in to other people who are followers and lifelong learners. And we actually take a part in creating that lane for them, being followers, being lifelong learners, making disciples. Christian living. Let me close by bringing to mind um, a movie that came out in 1991. Maybe some of you saw it. It came out this time in 91. I was, uh, I was four years old, so I barely remember it. Um, but the movie's called Hook. It was with Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman. Um, and it was really this, this uh, however much you like the movie or think it was great or think it was horrible. Um, it was really about Rob, uh, Peter Pan. Robin Williams played Peter Pan. Yeah, I don't know. And... Uh, he, uh, he grew up. So Peter Pan left Neverland and he grew up. And so really the gist of the movie, and guys, I'm going to give all this away. It's a, like a 91-year-old movie now. So sorry, you hadn't, you've had a long time to watch it. Um, even if you weren't born yet, you still had a long time to watch it. Um, the problem was that Peter forgot who he was. He was Peter Pan. And this was somebody who knew how to fly. He was somebody who could defeat Captain Hook. He was somebody who could defend the Lost Boys, which was his community that he lived with. But life happened to Peter. Peter grew up. He grew forgetful. He forgot who he was. So let me finish on this, with this question. And it's this, do you have spiritual amnesia? I know that I do many times. Do you have spiritual amnesia? Do you forget who you are? Do you forget who Jesus is? Do you forget that the Holy Spirit was the one who brought you from death to life to become a member of the church that Jesus has built and has empowered you through the Holy Spirit's power to live out the gospel? So let me encourage you in these three ways. Number one, to remember who saved you. Remember who saved you. 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ. 
risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, Paul says, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Remember Christ. Remember who saved you. You have an enemy who wants you to forget your baptism. Remember your baptism. He wants you to downplay Jesus. So he encourages you to emphasize politics and your job and your money and your skill and your accomplishment. None of those things are really bad within themselves. It's just the effect that they have on us can be so damaging. Paul told Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember who saved you, that puts you lockstep in front of the face of Jesus Christ. Secondly, remember who helps you. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus never intended for you to become a self-sustaining religious person. And we know this, even when we teach somebody something, we don't expect them to have no help, right? When you learn to drive, it's good to remember that you have brakes and seatbelts. You have help. Even when you become an expert in the field that you're in, you have tools. You have manuals. You have other men and women to assist you. The Holy Spirit helps us by reminding us who saved us and who is empowering us through a life of struggle and weariness. Thirdly, remember what you are saved for, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were saved, listen, in Christ, to be in Christ. So when you walk and talk and move and breathe, you resemble the character of the one who lives within you and who you live within. It's like when an athlete puts on his uniform, he or she, they, they embody that role, that position they've been assigned as a representative of the team that they are a part of. Remember what you were saved for. Some of us live in a constant state of spiritual amnesia. And we make subconscious spiritual checklists some of you would even say, and I wouldn't even argue with you, you'd say, Ronnie, you don't understand. I have so many issues. I have so many challenges. You would say, I have so many plates spinning in my life. I have so many responsibilities. I have so much stress. I have so many concerns. I have so many things to do. It's hard for me to even think about what you're saying right now. But listen, the Spirit isn't saying, I know your card is full, but here, add one more thing. He's saying, pray for me to empower and equip you to be the church who lives like people who have been saved by Jesus. Just remember who you are. Pray to be a spiritually mature man or woman who walks in step with Jesus, who functions from a place of mercy. You're not going to get it all right. Thankfully, God's merciful. Grace, you're not going to get it all right. Thankfully, God is gracious. Love, you're not going to get it all right. 
Thankfully, God is loving. Compassion, you're not getting it all right, but God has compassion on you. Understanding, you're confused about a lot of things. God understands that. Faith, my faith is weak. Yeah, God understands how weak your faith is. In fact, he knows how much more weaker your faith is than you believe it's strong. Hope, man, I feel so down when I look at the state of the world. God looks at you and understands that. He understands why you would think that, which is why by the power of his Holy Spirit, he draws you back into himself. Let's remember to be who we are, people who belong to one another, and most importantly, to the creator of the universe, the ruler of the earth, the shepherd of our souls. Let's pray.